Back to another episode of Make Peace Not Beef. Okay, so peacemakers, I screwed up big time today. So what happened was, Alicia and I like we recorded an hour of really good content, and then near the end, I realized I forgot to hit record. Fail. Oh my god, classic Lily, right? So I am, I am so sorry, Alicia, for wasting an hour of your life, but you got to catch up with me. That's the only thing you got out of it. You look, very, you look very sad. Things happen. <laughs> <Disappointed>. <laughs> I am so sorry, but okay, peacemakers, we have some real exciting content for you today. So I brought Alicia, a recurring guest on my podcast, back for the third time. Alicia has previously reviewed、um, a life on our planet, which was a documentary by Sir David Attenborough. I think it was back in episode eighteen, if I recall correctly, and then. Later that year, we reviewed、um, Seaspiracy with Dr. Scott Coffin, the three of us, and I think it's been almost a year since we last had like a one-on-one、um, episode together, and we're really excited today to review the documentary "The Sacred Cow" for you guys. And yeah, so Alicia, you want to quickly introduce yourself again for those who are joining for the first time. Yeah,、um, my name is Alicia, and I've worked as a software engineer for the past five years.、Um, and yeah, I'm in process of、uh, relocating to Puerto Rico and starting a renewable energy business. Awesome! I'm really excited for your move. <laughs> Thanks. So much has happened in your life.、Um, okay, so without further ado, because this is our second time recording, I'm not going to waste your time. We're going to go for a lightning round. We're going to give you all the goodies about the the movie and our thoughts on it. So basically,、um, I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast the other day, and he invited、uh, two guests. It was Diana Rogers and Rob Wolf,、uh, a nutritionist and a dietitian, onto the show to basically make the argument for eating meat and how、um, eating meat could be good for the planet. And they were trying to make a case for sustainable meat. And in that interview, they revealed that the two of them actually、um, co-created a documentary called The Sacred Cow, which is. About the sustainable case for meat, so that really piqued my curiosity. So I decided, like, hey, wouldn't it be cool, like, if I watched this documentary and then reviewed it with Alicia on my podcast for Make Peace Not Beef? And so I brought the idea to you, and you immediately like agreed to do this. So we watched the Sacred Cow together, well, separately, but we're now gonna review it together. So. Um, first of all, Alicia, do you want to tell us a little bit about what this film is about? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The film talks about、um, regenerative farming, so like different practices for raising cattle、um, in a way that allows them to live a happier life and allows us to、uh, consume meat in a way that、uh, is better for the environment and better for the soil as well.、Um, And it also talks about veganism, and it's, it's a very, pretty biased film, and kind of goes against veganism. It has some, it has an individual on, on the film who talks about all the issues that veganism has brought into her life.、Um, so yeah, it talks about veganism and soil and、uh, regenerative farming for cattle. Right. Very nicely summarized. So the reason why this film is atypical for me to pick for my podcast is because, well, I'm a I'm a vegan, and Alicia is mostly vegetarian, and we talked extensively about you know the destruction of animal agriculture on the planet. But today, I kind of decided to 
uh, pick a little bit more controversial film because the film is actually, um, I don't want to say they're like meat eater advocates, but basically there is some like anti-vegan sentiments there, but basically they're, they're trying to propose the alternative to veganism. And they were saying that, hey, cows are actually essential for soil health and is the key to reviving the planet's ecosystem, right? But they don't go into detail about like how you can improve soil in areas where you may not have ruminant animals. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So first of all, why don't we? Okay, Alicia, do you want to walk us through what are some of the propositions brought on by this film? Um, like eating meat is is okay, <laughs> um, and that it, like eating meat is one of the ways to get the key nutrients that your body needs. Um, and it yeah it goes against the veganism saying that you won't be able to get the key nutrients that you can get from meat, from eating meat. Mm -hmm. and, and what did the film say about red meat specifically? Um, that it causes cancer, as well as processed foods. Right. I, I think it was actually trying to make the case that um, like red meat is not should not be branded as the evil. It should really be processed food. Right. That is the arch enemy of public health. Um, and it was saying that right now we see meat as like uh, the root of all evil and the, uh, the, well, the writer of the film is trying to make a point that, Hey, it shouldn't be meat. It should be processed food. And that meat is actually very nutrient dense. And the interesting thing is they featured, um, an ex vegan on the film. <laughs> this part was really interesting, right? Her name is, uh, Lyra Keith. And I Googled this woman and she's a, a radical feminist and ex vegan. And she's authored many books. She's an activist. And she actually talked about, why don't you tell us? <laughs> um, yeah, so she talked about how she, she became vegan and then she started to have issues with her blood sugar spiking mm -hmm. um, and then issues with degenerative discs in her spine um, and how that's like a permanent condition. Um, and multiple autoimmune diseases also came out of her becoming vegan. Um, so it's, it's as if like becoming vegan just like destroyed her health. She wasn't able to get the nutrients that she needed and now she has like permanent damage in her spine from choosing this vegan lifestyle and it ultimately didn't work for her. But they don't talk about how it has worked for some other people or maybe, you know, what she was missing in her diet and ways to, ways she could have improved those vitamin deficiencies. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. So, yeah, so they brought on this ex-vegan who claimed that the vegan diet basically destroyed her health. And, like, like there's some things that I think are, like, good key takeaways, which is that, you know, she said protein in meat is so much more bioavailable than plant protein. And I'm not going to argue against that because it is science, right? Like, heme iron is just so much more absorbable by the human body. And it did make me think, like, hmm, maybe it is okay to have a certain amount of good quality meat in your diet for optimal health. But... Right, like you said, we did not know what she ate on a day to day basis. And I know vegans who have who are still healthy after being vegan for twenty five to thirty years who are taking supplements. So I don't think that's a good like her case is a good representation of all vegans. But of course the film, you know, they cherry picked their uh alibis or like witnesses to uh make their case, right? Right. So I think one of the biggest proposition of this film and, and its main argument is that cows are actually essential to restoring and maintaining soil health, which is needed for agriculture. Right. So um, I think 
it's trying to say that like oh people are saying cows are evil because of they emit methane which accelerates climate change and then like um beef production is like um one of the the main causes of like carbon emissions which is all true but they're saying hey like on the other hand like you know cows they graze the grass and helps to keep the grass even and they they try they keep the topsoil rich so that you can grow crops on it and that's like there's a big swaths of land on the earth that is not arable where you cannot grow crops but but cows can actually graze in these areas and make the the soil more arable and rich so yeah the film didn't go into details about um, areas where you don't have cows areas where there's just crops themselves and ways to improve the soil in areas where you're just growing crops um, and I think, yeah, that's the problem that I see with this film and how it, how it comes off as more biased because it's talking just about how cows can improve the soil and other ruminant animals as opposed to like maybe not growing monoculture crops. <laughs> um, right, right. Having more diversity in, in the crops mm -hmm. and ensuring that the plants that you are planting um, restore nutrients into the soil. Mm -hmm, right. And for listeners who don't have any context on the film, I just want to give them a little bit more context before we get into a discussion. But the film basically discussed the concept of regenerative farming. And by that definition, regenerative farming basically means mimicking nature's system as closely as possible. And in nature, the reason why, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, the soil is so rich back in the days is because you have ruminant animals, right? Such as like cattle and like, what are some other ruminant animals? Buffaloes? I don't know, like... Yeah, buffalo back in the day, um, sheep, sheep, uh, goats. Right, that you sheep. can herd any any herbivores you can herd. Um, they they were like they they use the three M's right, like moving, mobbing, and uh, mowing the grass to keep the soil rich. And yeah. modern agriculture goes against that because we cram these animals into these small cages. And so they don't get to graze the grass and, and therefore actually degrades the soil and not just not just that, but also the way we grow vegetables as well, right? Just modern agriculture in general is terrible for the soil because we do so much tilling, which dehydrates and erodes the soil, and then it turns it into dirt. And once it becomes dirt, it's very hard to reverse it into soil, which speaking of, let me ask you, Alicia, like, what do you think is the definition of soil? Because I don't think a lot of people actually know what's in soil. Yeah, I think soil is the decomposition of organic plant and animal matter. Um, and yeah, I'm sure we've all experienced or seen different variations of soil when we're walking around in nature in a forest versus when we're, you know, driving through the United States, driving through Nebraska, for example, and you just see rows and rows of corn. And let's say you stop and you look at the dirt and it's just dry. Like you can see the roots of the corn plant not even in the ground like it's just kind of like resting on top and it's just why it's not rich like you would see in the forest um and yeah there are ways that you can um, have rich soil by um, rotating crops and um ensuring that you are applying like compost or fresh fresh compost on top like i had a garden growing up um, and we had chickens and ducks and turkeys, and we would, you know, clean out their pens and add that to the compost bin and use, and then turn the compost and then use that and put it on top of the plants. And like that helped a lot in having rich soil. I remember when we first started the garden, it was just dry dirt. It wasn't very good. This was, um, 
like it was just um it was just grass mm-hmm. and we turned grass into a garden um and i guess like traditional grass is treated with fertilizers and pesticides and weed killers um which really causes a lot of harm to the soil just like we're seeing in um in commercial farming uh, so yeah there are ways to bring it back but it'll definitely take some time mm-hmm. absolutely right and i just want to take a moment to talk about why soil is so important because i i don't think most people actually understand right um so first of all the un estimates that there is only about 60 years of topsoil left and for those of you who are wondering what is topsoil topsoil is basically the first five to ten inches of soil on on planet earth that we can actually grow crops this is where agriculture happens so without this very very (coughs) quintessential five to ten inches of soil we cannot grow crops right we cannot farm we cannot grow food and we're all going to starve and die and the un estimates there's about 60 harvests left before we're going to face like a global food shortage so it is so important for us to maintain soil health and with climate change and, and all these things um we see we have seen very very evident degradation of soil right with like rising temperature and acidity of soil and we see soil turning into dirt with modern agriculture practices so like alicia said um, soil is basically decomposition of plant matter, but soil is actually a mixture of of living, of organic and inorganic matter, right? And a scientist said a healthy soil, like um, a one clump of soil should have billions of living organisms in it. Like these are microbes that break down the carbon in the soil that then turn it into minerals and um, nutrients that the plants can then absorb as they grow into crops. And which is why the food you eat has nutrients. It's not because the plants themselves have nutrients. It's because of the microbes in the soil that breaks down the carbon, turns them into nutrients and minerals. The plants then absorbs them and then you eat the plants and that's how you get the nutrients from. So all the nutrients are really in the soil, right? Um, And so the other day I saw this interesting statistic that said, you know, nowadays you have to eat eight oranges to get the nutrient equivalent of one orange back in the 1980s, which just to show you how our soil health has has significantly declined over the years. And the same crops that that grow on these soil are no longer as nutritious as back in the days because the soil has degraded. So, and I was listening to that. I was wondering, damn, like, why are we not talking about soil health more if it's if it's so important and so essential to our like food security. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes it feel like maybe being vegan would be even harder because we need to eat a lot more oranges, spinach, tomatoes to get the same um, Mm -hmm. nutritional density as, um, as a meat eater would. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And and the the film does bring up that point, right. Which is like, you know, the, the ex vegan who ran into health problems. Um, but it is true that when you're on a vegan diet, you do have to be more cautious of what you put into your body because it is a lot easier to run into nutrient deficiencies. And there's just so many, (coughs) sorry, nutrients. That's just more bioavailable, um, in the form of meat. So man, I I was watching that film, but I think, a big problem with the film, I think we both identified this when we talked to offline as well, is like, okay, so they painted this perfect picture of like, sustainable farming is the solution to the problem. Like they kind of, um, they kind of depicted animal agriculture as the culprit, right? Um, which is destroying our planet. And I, I feel like vegans and the documentary makers alike 
kind of like align on that stance, like they agree animal agriculture is bad. But the film is saying the solution is sustainable farming, where you have livestock grazing the land, and that is how we should get our meat. But、mm-hmm. I'm like, but okay, first of all, that is not feasible to feed a nation. Secondly, regenerative ar- agriculture is extremely expensive. Uh, compared to like traditional livestock raised on feedlots in animal agriculture, when you have demand that high, the only way to sustainable sustainably maintain your throughput is to cram them in tiny cages where they're treated、uh, very inhumanely、uh, because they're basically their bodies are used as factories to produce meat. That is their only purpose, right? Here they're saying you should use the livestock for grazing and other purposes as well, and and you know you know they're shown as happily roaming. The the grasslands, but I just don't think that's a feasible solution to feed like three hundred million people in America. Yeah, the film didn't go into statistics of yeah what meat consumption looks like in America、um, and how we're going to get there using regenerative farming.、Um, and I think that's where it's this becomes unfeasible to do regenerative farming and eat meat at the rate that we are eating it at. Um, as society, so we'd have to reduce our meat consumption to work with regenerative farming. I do think it's possible,、um, but the film didn't showcase it or、um, or discuss it at all. Exactly. So I agree with you. They painted a very like idyllic, like idealistic picture of regenerative farming, and just said, "Look, this is a solution to animal agriculture. You just have to raise these livestock on grass, and wouldn't it be great if everything was grass fed?" Yeah, that sounds really great in theory, but How many Americans can sustainably afford that? First of all, right, and just how much longer will it take to raise livestock on on grasslands versus an animal like like factories where they cannot see daylight, right? Yeah, it would be really expensive. Yeah, like up up front、um, or at first, but the price could decrease over time as more farms turn to regenerative farming as their main practice.、Um, but I think meat would be More expensive than it is now, just because of the the quantity, right? We would still have less cows、um, overall if we did regenerative farming everywhere, which means that we would have to reduce、um, our consumption of meat. Absolutely. So. I think that's a point that the film didn't really address. Like, I feel like okay, you talked about the problem, but you didn't talk about this. They didn't really tackle the solution head on. They said re- regenerative farming, but there's a caveat to that. First of all, re- the at the scale at which regenerative farming becomes a plausible solution implies that first of all, there has to be a significant reduction in the global population. Right? They were talking about United States alone, but picture countries like India and Africa, and they want to eat meat too. Like, how are you going to do this sustainably? Like replicate this model across the world without、yeah. a significant reduction in population and also a significant reduction in per capita meat consumption, right? Yeah, yeah. We'd have to make some changes regardless going forward because what we're doing just isn't isn't sustainable. So right, and but so that's the that's the thing in the film. Like they just. They didn't address that. They just said, "Okay, it's going to be the solution," without saying, "Okay, but these are the these are the prerequisites for regenerative farming to be a commercially viable solution in、yeah. America and elsewhere in the world." Right? But I I do like how the like from a from a filmmaking perspective, I'm not a I'm not a filmmaking I'm not I'm not a film major, but Alicia, like you told me that you really like how the film kind of humanizes the farmers and the butchers in the beginning. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? 
Yeah. Yeah. I like um, in the beginning how it starts with um, the Belgian butcher. And he was saying that this is like a family tradition, like generations of, of being a butcher and um, just, yeah, this is his livelihood. This is his life. Um, and it also showcased um, a couple in the United States and how they were practicing like traditional commercial farming using pesticides and fungicides and um, how they didn't really care about uh quality, they sacrifice quality for quantity um, to try and make ends meet. But then when they transitioned their farm to regenerative farming, they were actually making more money um, and, and they had better quality. So it showcased that like, you know, doing the right thing and following better practices, better for the soil, our health, and there is return on investment in doing the right thing. So yeah, I really like that, that part of the, of the film. Yeah, I really like that too. I just think I liked how they humanized farmers because I feel like farmers are not often humanized in just films in general. So I really like that they took the time to really speak to these farmers and not just farmers in America, like you said, the Belgian farmers as well, right? And why they thought it was important to um, to let their customers know how the meat was made and where it came from and all of that. So, you know, as a vegan and you yourself mostly a vegetarian, like watching this film, like what do you think was like the most eye-opening part of the film that made you really think or change your opinion on things if any um i guess i really liked um the part where they talked about how our food changed from kind of like being regenerative regenerative back in the day into how there was like, you know, a food shortage and all of a sudden like chemistry was involved and we tried to just stretch, um, you know, stretch, stretch our crops, stretch um, the, the production of meat and the impact that has had on our society, just like over processing everything. Um, like that's really eye opening and just makes you like question and want to understand, okay, like where is this food actually coming from? What are all of these extra ingredients? What is, what does the whole system look like? Um, like this film really made me question the system end to end a lot more than, um, than yeah, how I was thinking prior to the film. So. Right, right. Um, yeah, I agree with you. That part was definitely. Um, and once again, like, I think the soil part was like, they really drove that message home. And it really made me think about like, how the average person has no idea, like at the average person living in a city such as mine, like in Toronto, or maybe like, uh, maybe it's different in color, like Boulder, Colorado, but um, mm. I just feel like the average American or Canadian has no idea how food is grown or like has any like does not have any knowledge of like gardening or farming essentials to even know like what what a vital purpose soil serves on this planet in ensuring our overall livelihood right and our ecosystem like without soil there would be no life like mm-hmm. so when the UN announced that there's only 60 years of topsoil left like that sounded an alarm for me like in my head I'm like well in addition to climate change and all these things like degrading soil at such um an egregious speed like if there was no soil then like that is a global crisis we're going to run into right there's going to be conflicts and food shortage so it's like it's like man if this thing is so important why aren't more people talking about soil health that was just like what I was thinking yeah 
so the movie raised awareness on that front like whether you're a vegan or a meat eater like you would learn more about soil health in general so i like that part of the film mm-hmm. right I think I'm getting a little tired. <laughs> okay, you're getting a little tired. Cool, cool. Yeah. It's okay. I feel like we covered a lot in this this, this time around, right? Like, we covered all the essentials. Like, um, okay. So, <clears throat> I guess because it's our second time recording, we're going to make this a shorter episode. But, um, yeah. So, okay, Alicia, do you want to give us, like, give us, like, your final thoughts on the movie? Like, did you like it overall? Would you recommend it? And what are some things that you might want to research after watching this documentary? Um, yeah, I feel like I want to research more about um, soil and overall soil health um, in ways that that can be improved without um, requiring ruminant animals. Um, and, yeah, I saw that the film made me um, want to question where my food's coming from a bit more and seek out a better understanding of the entire process of how how my food comes to my table. Um, and yeah, I, I, I wish the film um, cover wasn't maybe as, as biased. I wish they had someone who um, was vegan and who had success with that type of diet and lifestyle, um, as opposed to, you know, focusing on someone who had extreme problems with extreme health problems with converting to the vegan lifestyle. Um, it just came off as, as very biased. Um, so I wish there was more well-roundedness with um, like regenerative farming, maybe how it's not like, you can't really just rely on that with our current um, meat consumption and showing more examples of veganism being a healthy lifestyle for some people. Absolutely. I agree with you. And Another point the the film made was that, you know, even if you follow a vegan diet, there's still animal death involved in just growing crops in general, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that part was eye-opening, but still, I feel like you can't compare slaughtering a slug versus slaughtering a cow, right? So I feel like the vegan diet on the whole still has a much lesser impact on the ecosystem mm-hmm. compared to eating meat. And another thing they talked about was like, they're saying like, oh, like as a vegan, you think you're helping the planet, but then what about all these monocultures that you're contributing to with your diet that consists of avocados and like almonds and soy and corn? But then I also want to remind everybody that, you know, 80% of soy is actually currently used for livestock feed. Because once again, I said we cannot afford to sustainably grow, like raise livestock right now, given our limited resources and, and people's pressing demand for meat consumption. So... I think the key takeaway is yes, sustainable, you know, livestock uh, production sounds like a really good idea, um, but is it feasible? I don't think it is yet, given our current demand. I think the population still has to go majority plant based, with meat as like a very small supplement in their diet, right? For this to even even be possible. Yeah, see meat as more of a treat versus mm-hmm. something that completes a meal. Exactly. I I think so. And like nowadays, I feel like both you and I, we're adopting a little bit more of a flexible approach to like veganism and vegetarianism. Right. And you talked about how you, when you travel to Italy, there were just cases in which you cannot um, have a vegan or vegetarian meal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like my family wants to share, you know, like their favorite um, pastries with me from the bakery that has cream on the inside and it's made with butter. And like, I, 
yeah, I found it hard to be like, oh yeah, I'm not going to eat any of these things that you want to share with me. Cause that's a great bonding experience and bonding moment. Um, so yeah, like I, I did eat, yeah, some animal products when I was in Italy, but something that really helped me was, um, stepping forward and doing a lot of the cooking. So to make sure that we're eating mostly vegetables and they responded well and they liked it. So yeah, we ate mostly vegetables and, um, just a little bit of meat here and there. So. Mm-hmm. I like that. See, I, I really like how you approach your life with moderation because I think a lot of vegetarians and vegans, like myself included, like we take a very staunchly, like very um, like hardcore stance on veganism and then we end up, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, that ends up harming and injuring our relationships with close ones and loved ones who really care about us because they see us as taking a stance against them and their lifestyle choices. So I, th- I like that you selectively choose to integrate, you know, with your family when when times call for it and then when you're living on your own then you can make more sensible choices based on and and i wish more vegans and vegetarians were like like open to being a little bit more flexible in their approach and not shame everyone who like <laughs> broke the rule or you know yeah i, I think that being a bit more flexible so it's always good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the most important thing is that you are open-minded and you want to learn about where your food comes from. And I feel like having that knowledge in and of itself is enough of, um, it gives you enough motivation to want to change your diet and maintain, um, right. Like, like a pretty climate or ethic climate conscious slash ethical diet. So it doesn't, it's not about perfection in your execution. Right. And, and I think families and relationships and friendships guys, is an essential part of human experiences too. <laughs> it's yeah. culture, like, so <laughs> we are all trying to improve the system, but the system cannot be changed in one day. So in the meanwhile, you still have to live life. Like, is this really so controversial for me to say that? Like, I think it's okay. Like, <laughs> five people are going to unsubscribe right now when I say this. <laughs> but whether you're vegan or vegetarian, I think it is okay to have meat once in a while for your health, or whether it's to bond with your family, because. The last thing you want to be thinking about on your deathbed is like, shit, I missed out on all the important family gatherings. I sat out of them because, you know, I didn't want to have that piece of turkey. And of course, some vegans will say, well, what's what's wrong with me still attending family events, but just not eating with them? I can make vegan options. I think that's wonderful, too. But maybe for you and I, like, you know, like I, I am a person of color. Like, it's just harder for me to explain to my non-white parents that you know, I'm a vegan, like they look, look at scans at me and they still think it's like a Caucasian thing to do, which it isn't. But instead yeah. of explaining and, and like three hours trying to explain to them why I'm vegan. And then like, I, I think in that moment, I just, I just want to have a good relationship with my family and that's just how I want to keep it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My grandmother, um, in Puerto Rico, like she makes chicken every day, but she also grew up in Puerto Rico. Um, and you know would would harvest the chickens (laughs) um and like that's it's part of her culture it's a habit it's what she knows how to cook it's what she's Mm. comfortable with cooking um but when i'm there like yeah i will eat some meat with her but i always make vegetables but she doesn't always eat the vegetables but (laughs) regardless i make them and she'll try it um but yeah, for her, like, she's not going to change her lifestyle because mm-hmm. I'm there. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I get to introduce her to some new foods. So, and we still get to share over a little bit of meat here and there. 
I love that. I love that. And I think cultures and traditions, these are things that will eventually change over time with generations, right? Like new ideas are born with each generation. Like maybe the next generation is going to be more plant-based than we are, right? And the older generation has their way of doing things. And I think I think we should respect that. Like that is their way of life. And it's it's not, I don't have any like say in how they, right? If that's that's your, how your grandmother knew how to cook, like mm-hmm. I think I, I like that you can still bond over her like with her over that shared experience of you know cooking meat and still accepting that as like a family tradition and like even though you make different choices now in your personal lifestyle i I really like that i think it takes maturity to to be able to embrace both (laughs) yeah yeah all righty well i guess we're gonna end this episode a bit sooner and just close it off then um well, first of all, Alicia, thank you so much for being on the show again. Like, this is like our second time recording this episode tonight. Um, I know you're exhausted. And you're ready to pass out after this, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, where are you right now? I'm in Miami. Um, so it's 11 p.m. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, like, is there like a beach behind that door or like what's happening? <laughs> um, the beach is to the left. But, yeah, I think behind the door is not downtown just the city 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 beach <laughs> i am very envious of your life you just came back from italy and now you're in miami uh, <laughs> makes me want to quit my job too yeah <laughs> i hope my boss is not watching this episode I'd be like fuck you lily <laughs> i knew you weren't doing your job properly but yeah <laughs> um that's wonderful, Alicia. And please keep us posted with um, how things go in Puerto Rico. And I'm definitely going to have you back for another episode because we're going to review more movies and also talk about your startup, which I'm really excited to talk about. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alicia, for your time. And thank you, Peacemakers, for tuning in to Make Peace Not Beef. I guess um, I hope you enjoyed our review of the documentary Sacred Cow. Definitely go check it out and let us know what you've thought of the documentary. You can DM me on Instagram or leave a comment down below on my YouTube channel. And I guess I will see you in the next episode. (laughs) Bye. If you like this episode, be sure to leave our podcast a five-star review. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Make Peace Not Beef. All right. I'll see you in the next episode.